seems apropos this morning to, uh, to continue our break from the Gospel of Luke on this first Lord's Day of the year, indeed the first day of a new year altogether. So let's do just that by turning in our Bibles to the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 31, we'll read the first eight verses. The British essayist Charles Lamb once said that no one ever regarded the first of January with indifference. He was, of course, exactly right. And this first day of January, falling on the Lord's Day, means that we should, as Christians, pause and step back, sort of take a look at the bigger picture. We might profitably have spent the time this morning taking up one of the many passages in the Bible that urge us Uh, and make clear that we must make definite uh, steps forward in holiness and obedience and and righteousness. There are plenty of those kinds of passages. Make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. Or watch your life and doctrine closely. Or I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me, forgetting what is behind and straining on toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ. Or grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and so on. And uh, who could argue that we would benefit greatly from a sermon on any of those texts this morning? I hope that every one of you is resolving today in some specific way to be more faithful to the Lord in 2012 than you were in 2011. But as I thought about you and about uh, some things that our families are facing right now, some of those known publicly, others of those uh, very private struggles, I thought we'd go to another place in the Bible a place that is uh, actually very familiar in some specific ways to some of you and in general ways to all of us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we we ask that um, you will set things before our view the way they need to be once again. We struggle so. We are so weak and so frail. We really are, as we've even sung this morning, we are dust, and quickly we pass away. But Father, in the time that we do have, we want to live the life to which you have called us, the life for which you have made us, the life for which you have redeemed us by your Son. So Father, we pray that your Spirit now will come and apply your word to us with great power. In Jesus' name, amen. before I do read the text, I want to remind you of the context uh, that we're, of the passage we're jumping into with both feet here this morning. We're entering into the history here at the end of a long journey uh, for the people of God. After 400 years of captivity in Egypt, Moses has led them out of Egypt. But because of their sin, they're having doubted God's promise to Give them the land. You remember ten spies coming back and reporting that there were giants in the land and we couldn't possibly take them. Only two of them coming back with an answer uh, that was moved by faith. 
I say because of that unfaithfulness, they spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness, burying an entire generation along the way. And we've been studying that history in the evening uh, studies, evening sermons, um, very closely. It's near the end now of that sojourn that we come in Deuteronomy 13. They stand virtually on the border of Canaan. Some frightening changes are immediately on the horizon and others lurk in the uh, unknown distance. Moses speaks, beginning in the middle of verse 2. I am 120 years old today. I'm no longer able to go out and come in. The Lord has said to me, you shall not go over this Jordan. The Lord your God himself will go over before you. He will destroy these nations before you so that you shall dispossess them. And Joshua will go over at your head as the Lord has spoken. And the Lord will do to them as he did to Sihon and Og, the kings of the Amorites, and to their land when he destroyed them. And the Lord will give them over to you, and you shall do to them according to the whole commandment that I have commanded you. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Then Moses summoned Joshua And said to him in the sight of all Israel, Be strong and courageous, for you shall go with this people into the land that the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall put them in possession of it. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. I wonder if you can imagine for a moment, having wandered in the desert for these 40 years, you and your family in a community literally of millions, for as long as you can remember from the very beginning of your life, you have lived on the move from here to there, hither and yon, you have gone never setting down any roots, living in a tent, the only permanent thing in your life being the sense of impermanence. What is more, you've been looking to the leadership of Moses. His very face has become synonymous in your thoughts with the blessing and the presence of God. But now all of this is going to change. Now wandering is to be replaced with fighting and conquering. The life of the nomad replaced in time with ownership. Even Moses, who seemed to you in your childhood and even now as an adult to be immortal, is going the way of dust. The changes that lay in the immediate future for God's people that day were immense, and no doubt they were frightening. There were wars to be fought, there were enemies to be conquered, the land to be taken, and those were just the things that they could anticipate. Whatever else was waiting for them across the waters of the Jordan remained shrouded from their view. What is Moses going to tell them at such an occasion, at such a time? What is his message for their fearful and wondering and unsettled minds? Be strong. Be courageous. That seems a 
a fitting message. It sounds very good. But uh, you know what? It uh, sounds a lot like what a lot of people say. A lot of unbelievers say things like, be strong and be courageous. We heard some of that bravado last night as we uh, anticipated a new year beginning. Even unbelievers say these things, you know, screw your courage to the sticking place, that sort of business. Anyone can say that. So what is it that makes this counsel of Moses uh, to them, and by extension to us, so different? Well, simply this, and it is everything, God. Be strong. Be courageous. Why? Because God. What about God? Dear flock, my brothers and sisters, God is with you. God goes before you. God will never leave you. God will never forsake you. This was the message to God's people as they prepared to enter into the unknown future, and it remains unaltered for God's people today, right here in the hearing of my voice right now. Here we stand, brothers and sisters, on the, on the threshold of another year. The future stretches out before us, but strain as we might to see it, it remains hidden from our view, covered, as it were, by a, a thick fog. And the path before us disappears just inches in front of our toes. What does 2012 hold in store? Are you stepping into a year of, of bright events, of, of laughter, of things that, that will bring gladness to you, or... Or maybe things that will feel more like a, a blow to the solar plexus. Very sad and difficult things that will wrench your heart. You don't know. We can't know. No doubt for us as a congregation, the, the year ahead will hold a, a bag, a mix of afflictions and joys, of trials and triumphs. Be strong. Be courageous. Why? Because God. First Christian, God goes before you. You go first. <laughs> we, we can remember saying that plenty of times, can't we? You go first. No, 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 you go first. No, you go first. You're bigger. You go first. No, no, you go first. We've all said it at some time. Why? Because something was frightening. Something scared us and probably was unknown to us. So, so you go first. Sometimes we uh, just wanted to see what would happen maybe to that other person, to our uh, big brother, maybe our little brother, uh, to our friend, uh, so that it wouldn't happen to us. But when God goes first, it means so much more. When Moses tells the people of God that God goes before them, he explains what that means in verse 3. The Lord your God himself will go over before you. He will destroy these nations before you so that you shall dispossess them. And of course, that's exactly what he did. He went before them. 
to Jericho, you remember. Before one sword clashed with another, the wall of Jericho lay in ruins before them. When God goes before us, it means that he's going before us to deal with our obstacles and with our enemies, with all that seeks to harm or undo or threaten us. I say he deals with them, he deals with all matters before we even get there. Now that doesn't mean that life is going to be easy and effortless. A road unmarked by some potholes along the way. It doesn't mean there'll be no conflict, no difficulties, even tears along the way. What it does mean is that God has gone before us and made the way so that what we face, whatever we face, he will have already overcome for us in all the ways that really matter. It means also that God knows what is coming before us. We can't see into the future, obviously. We don't even know what's going to happen later this afternoon, much less a week from now or a month from now or a year from now. But he does. In fact, he knows the beginning from the end. There's nothing that escapes his complete, total knowledge for the simple reason that he's already controlling the future. Maybe you've heard that saying that I used to think was sort of silly, even trite, but have come now over the years even to cherish. In fact, uh, something very much like it was said in, in the prayer just here a few minutes ago. We don't know what the future holds, but we do know who holds the future. When God goes before us, it means that he controls everything. Whether that thing is an enemy, an enemy in human form maybe, who seeks to do us harm, or spiritual, or an enemy in in a more metaphoric sense, the enemy of cancer or of grief, disappointment or loss, whatever it is, God has already gone on ahead of us, is in control of all things, And has already ultimately dealt with it and even turned it for our ultimate good. That's why you can be courageous. Why you can really be brave. Why you can be strong. Even your enemies, even your future enemies must bow to the will of your God and Father for your benefit, for your good. But as heartening as that must be for us, the Lord does not only go on before us. As we enter another year, dear flock, remember second God goes with you. When the gray-bearded Moses told the people to be strong and courageous, God is with you, he himself had learned a thing or two about that. Remember his doubts at the burning bush? Remember 40 years before this, God sent him on the errand that now he's finishing. God told him the same thing. You remember? I will be with you. And Moses says, but (laughs) I will be with you. But, but I will be with you. The Lord goes with his people. 
It means that he gives them success. He goes with them for, for a purpose, to strengthen them, to carry them, to sustain them. Moses could remember with perfect and no doubt painful clarity. He could remember how he had doubted God, how he'd scratched his head there at the burning bush, wondering how he could even survive a return to Egypt, much less lead the people out from Pharaoh's grip. But God had summoned Moses to this task, just as he was summoning the people through Moses to their task here. There is a work to do. There is territory to take. There's an enemy to be defeated. Go, God was saying, and I go with you. But, but their hearts, you know, were saying inside them, I am with you. And God says the same thing to you. I am with you. I think he must repeat it so many times in the Bible for the simple reason that we're so prone to forget it, aren't we? And so prone to doubt it. And so we, we have God telling Moses, I will be with you. And God telling the people uh, through Moses, I will be with you. And Jesus telling the disciples, I am with you. And the writer of the letter to the Hebrews, writing frightened Christians that God has promised, I will be with you. What that means is that God is right here, right here with you, to give all that you need to face And to accomplish all that he requires from you. He is at your right hand. Always that close. He is in you. All of these things you can face. Whatever they be. And accomplish. Because he's with you. Obedience to the commandments of God. Bearing witness to Christ. Loving your enemies. Maintaining purity and holiness. In the teeth of of whatever temptation this year holds in store for us. Living as a man or woman of God, as a husband to your wife, as a wife to your husband, as a father or mother to your children, as faithful children to your parents, as faithful members of Christ's church, serving Him faithfully, facing conflicts, giving comfort. All these things we can do because and only because God is with us. To what is God summoning you in this new year? To what particular work is he calling you? I mean, where does your, the rubber of your life you know, meet the road? Some of those things you already know and can anticipate others of them yet to be made known to you by God. But whatever they may be, God says, now be brave, be courageous, be strong, do it, obey me, because I'm with you. And that's all you need to know. That's all that really is important for you to know. I am with you. I will never, ever leave you. I will never forsake you. God goes before you, Christian, and God goes with you. But just in case you're tempted to doubt that God goes before you and God goes with you, look behind you. 
As they face the prospect of the giants of the land before them, Moses turns their eyes back for just a moment in verse 4, and the Lord will do to them as he did to Sihon and Og, the kings of the Amorites, and to their land when he destroyed them. Remember, Moses is telling them, and don't forget the way God wasted the people who tried to stand in your way in the wilderness. Though they were great, they were not greater than your God. Though they were greater than you, they weren't greater than your king. Christians, as you step over the threshold of this new year and before you close the door behind you, look over your shoulder for just a moment. Look and see how God has been faithful to you. How enemies of all sorts have fallen flat in their attempts to have you. What trials and temptations, what challenges, what difficulties you have faced and overcome by God's grace. And let that record, that string of God's faithfulness in the past, propel you into an unknown future with confidence. Even courage. God has gone before you. The God who went with you then goes with you now. Now one last thing. It is entirely possible, Christian, that you will face this year the greatest enemy, and that is your own death. You know that the Jordan River, which lay between the people of God and the promised land that day, has become, for Christians, a symbol, a picture, a metaphor of death that must be crossed in order to enter the promised land. It may be that you will cross those Jordan waters before that year is over. I may be burying you before we celebrate our next New Year's Day, or you may be burying me. Be strong, Christian. Be courageous. The Lord goes before you. The Lord goes with you. I think it helps when we see examples of those who have crossed that Jordan. So that's the way I want to finish. She'd been failing, and everyone knew that she was about to die of the cancer that had afflicted her for the last two years of her life. Her name may be familiar to a few of you, Bronwyn Leonard. If that name sounds familiar to you, it's probably because she's the author of the Vacation Bible School material that we use and have used for years and years at this church. The late daughter of the late founding president of our own Covenant College and Covenant Theological Seminary. Her brother recalls in his journal that a few minutes from the end, she began struggling to breathe. Her lungs were filling up with fluid, as happens at that hour. She cried out a number of times, help me, help me, help me. And one could hear the fluid coming up in her lungs and see the color leave her face. Though Just before that, her face had been hot and sweaty. Those who were there say that that was a horrible moment. 
Then her husband and her daughter helped her sit up straighter in bed to help her breathe. The gurgling dissipated somewhat. Her daughter said, you wanted to help her somehow clear her throat. I've thought that this drowning that is so characteristic of cancer deaths is for a Christian, just like the immortal scene in Pilgrim's Progress when Christian goes into the river and begins to drown and then is lifted up by Hopeful. Bronwyn's head was turned toward Linnea, her daughter, and Linnea said to her, This is your very own pilgrim's progress, your crossing of the river. You get to do it first. And she told her that you're going to see Samantha and Papa. Samantha was her stillborn daughter, and Papa was our father who had died some six years before. Bronwyn seemed to be trying to speak. Then Bronwyn said in a clear voice, loud enough for anyone in the room to hear, though before, for the last few days, one had to have one's ear to her mouth to hear anything she might try to say. Everybody's here. Jesus is here. Samantha is here. Paul, Mark, Joshua. Linnea said, Joshua is next to you. She shook off that as if to say she didn't mean her son, Joshua. And Linnea said, and John done? And she responded with eyes wide open, and done. She kept saying, hallelujah, and everybody's here. The sense in the room was that she was not speaking to those in the room, but to those she had named who were before her eye. This period of her speaking lasted only a few minutes. The inflection of her voice, everything was different. She hadn't been able to make herself understood all day. One woman who was at the bedside said she looked like a child. Later, someone added, and full of wonder. Like a child who just walked into a toy store. She also kept saying, I need to hurry. I need to hurry. The remarkable thing, the shocking thing to everyone, was that she had wind to talk like that. She wasn't even breathing that hard. A window of a few minutes, nothing more. As they laid her on uh, back, laid her back on the bed, she did not return to the struggle to breathe, but took shorter gasps further apart until the breathing stopped completely. And this was a process of just a few minutes. I wonder, I guess we can ask her one day, whether she'd already crossed into heaven during those few moments, or if it was merely the kindness of God to place those things before her mind's eye at that time. It really matters not. What matters is this Christian, and whatever this year should hold for us, Should it hold death itself, you must, you simply must take God at his word here when he says, he goes before you, he goes with you, he will never leave you, he will never forsake you. And so whatever this year holds, my brother, my sister, Be strong, be courageous, do not fear, do not be dismayed. God is with you.
Amen.